Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley back after what was a very, very exciting time in my life. And it's great to be back for what is always an exciting time for most baseball fans. And that is the hot stove. The winter meetings are right around the corner. I'll have a lot to discuss about that. I've got some questions from you guys on social media about what the Braves have done, what the Braves are looking to do. And I've got a lot of things to catch up on because when I took my social media hiatus to get married and to go on my honeymoon, I did not expect the Braves to clear quite as many spots off their 40-man roster. So we got a lot to get into on today's show. Of course, we've got a lot of winter left in front of us for the Braves to do that shopping that I think everybody's kind of looking forward to. Not that they haven't made some moves, but the things that might be the larger ticket items on anybody's holiday shopping list. What are the Braves going to do in their rotation? What are they truly going to do? Ronaldo Lopez is here, yes, and we'll get into that, but what kind of upgrades are out there for this rotation, particularly with some free agents coming off the board and with a trade always seeming to be in play for Alex Anthopoulos? How are the Braves going to address that need? Because I very much agree with so many people out there that the Braves do need to address their starting rotation, strengthen and fortify that starting rotation, and that goes beyond just the 2024 season. Outside of that need, the Braves also have to look at left field. With Eddie Rosario's option declined, yeah, sure, he could come back, but there are some other players that could be out there that could make some sense. Will a trade fill left field? Is there a free agent signing that the Braves could go with? Because Alex Anthopoulos talked about this way back at the trade deadline right after he could have gone out and gotten another power bat to put in a Braves lineup that was stacked full of power bats. So how are all those pieces going to fit? Because we know the majority of this club is going to be back in this lineup, which was the best in Major League Baseball, but unfortunately not the best when they needed it to be in October. So all of these different items, well, they all fit together to make a great team, hopefully a championship team. And as I said, there is a lot of winter left to go, and the winter meetings are right around the corner. I'm going to be heading up to Nashville. I'll get a chance to talk to Alex Anthopoulos and see what other people around baseball might be looking at as far as uh, their needs and how they might fit with the Atlanta Braves. We'll have all the rumors and news and all of those things with From the Diamond podcast throughout the course of the winter meetings. I'll also have my live blog going, so if I hear rumors or talk to people or just have a thought for the day or a few thoughts, I'm sure, every day that are worth sharing, you'll be able to find those at fromthediamond.com. So be sure and check that out. I'll be updating that on a regular basis throughout the course of the winter meetings. Meanwhile, I'm really excited to be relaunching Battery Power TV with Chris Willis. That's going to be happening here a little bit later this week. We're going to sit down and do all the same things, have all the great Braves discussion that you hear right here on From the Diamond. All the great discussions I was having with Corey McCartney for the last couple of years. Chris is going to jump on. Of course, he's the head of the Battery Power Group over on SB Nation. Good friend of mine, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of good discussions. So make sure you subscribe to the Battery Power channel on YouTube so you'll get all of those episodes throughout the course of the winter, spring training, and the regular season. And the postseason, yeah, we do it all over there too. 
Yeah, so if you're looking for more great Braves talk, just in a smaller, digestible episodes that you can watch, well, YouTube, Battery Power TV, that's a good place to go. Speaking of which, I'm also going to have some great stuff going on at Locked On Sports Atlanta. I'm going to join Jake Mastriani, and we'll talk about the winter meetings preview over there. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to get answered that he's been getting. I got a whole list of questions right here for me that I'm going to go through on this episode of From the Diamond. So we'll kind of run it back, do it again. It'll be great to catch up with Jake and have more great Braves discussions. So make sure you check out Locked On Braves is where you'll be able to find those episodes. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and Locked On Sports Atlanta. I'll have my great Braves coverage coming around there as well. The one other final piece of business before I really get into some of these Braves discussions, many of which I have missed over the last 10 days. I'll be putting in some stuff for the Marietta Daily Journal, so be sure to check out all the links I've got for you. Social media is the place to find me, at Grant McCauley on most platforms. I'll be posting those throughout the winter meetings, and any other time the Braves make a big move, I should have something great coming out. So be sure to check it out on social media, from thediamond.com as well. I'm going to be revamping that over the course of the winter, so I've got a lot of great stuff right around the corner for you as we truly get ourselves into the hot stove and start our countdown to spring training, which will be here before you know it. And so with all of that out of the way, let's jump into today's episode. As I mentioned, I've got some questions from you guys from social media, and I've got a lot of things to catch up on because life was busy happening for me. I got married on November the 17th to my beautiful wife, Allie. We went on our honeymoon. It was amazing. We went to Jamaica. We had a lot of fun. But in order to do all those things, I had to kind of unplug from the baseball scene. I was trying to keep some tabs here and there on what was going on because You never really truly walk away from something that you pay as much attention to as I do to the Braves, but it's important to find that work-life balance, and this is one of the greatest times of my life, so I felt like maybe a little bit less of the social media, the podcast, the posts, the articles, those could all wait, and thankfully they have waited, but they can wait no longer because I am back here in Georgia, in Atlanta, counting down, heading up to the winter meetings, which will be starting in Nashville on December the 3rd, and that's when I'm going to be up there. And the Braves have been busy. They've been very busy while I took my social media hiatus. And so if you'll allow me to catch up a little bit, I'm not going to recap every move that's happened because goodness knows there were way too many of those. But there were some things in order to kind of put the pieces in place and get everything out onto the board for what Alex Anthopoulos is going to be looking at and what he's already done here over the course of the winter that I did want to recap just a bit. So if you humor me, I'm going to kind of walk through, give you a few of my thoughts on some of the things that had happened because I know a lot of people were asking me, I got more than a few text messages as well, like, can you believe this? Can you believe that? Were you surprised by this or that? And also, there are some targets that I think would have looked pretty good in a Braves uniform that are already off the board. So I'm going to get into all of that right now. So let me kind of rewind it back to when the Braves dealt with the non-tender deadline because they did it in about as busy a way as possible. And the busiest non-tender deadline that I can remember, there were a multitude of trades that sent players who were unlikely to be tendered contracts to other places. You kind of took all those pieces that you might be losing anyway and tried to cash them in for something useful. In return, the Braves were busy bolstering their bullpen, which has been a theme this winter. They already signed Pierce Johnson and Joe Jimenez to extensions before free agency really got going. Those were two key pieces to last year's Braves bullpen, but these were a bittersweet series of transactions. Michael Soroka and Kyle Wright each heading away in separate deals and that bullpen help coming back. Alex Anthopoulos used what, again, I'll describe as expiring assets to acquire left-hand pitcher Aaron Bummer from the Chicago White Sox. He could be a very useful reliever, I believe, and getting another lefty and somebody who's had a very good run over the past few years, although his 2023 numbers don't at first glance make you believe that this was somebody who was high up on the radar or on the list of needs for this Braves club, 
Aaron Bummer is actually quite a good reliever, and that helps this trade be, if you'll pardon the pun, a little bit less of a bummer because it was, at least on the, I guess, maybe emotional standpoint, especially for those of us who followed Michael Soroka for as long as we did. You know, Michael's one of the best guys. That's not going to change at all. And I think that the hard work is still going to be there. The opportunity is just going to change as he changes addresses, changes clubs, and sometimes that change of scenery is just what you need. The White Sox 2023 was pretty much described categorically as a disaster. We're going to talk about the White Sox again a little bit later for a potential other trade, and I'm, I'll save that for later in the show. But you knew that they were going to be making some serious changes, blowing things up, as the old saying goes, and that pretty much everybody is going to be available. They're going to be listening on everybody, and they've already made some moves to kind of shake things up. And it's going to take a little while, I think, to rebuild that club the way that they want to, if they're ever really able to do that, based on the kind of meddling and decisions that sometimes go on up top. But that's another story for another time, probably for an entirely different podcast. But in getting Aaron Bummer, I do feel like the Braves were able to add quality depth to their bullpen. Somebody who gets a lot of swing and miss, somebody who can miss a lot of bats the way that the Braves need them to, and somebody that gives them another steady left-handed option to go along with A.J. Minter, who down the stretch, more or less, was the only truly reliable lefty that the Braves had. Yeah, they went out and got Brad Hand, and I think situationally there was some value there, but they really missed Dylan Lee over the course of 2023. That was a loss, and Dylan should be ready for spring training as well, so when you talk about depth, that's somebody else to add to that equation, but Aaron Bummer coming in gives them a little bit of a track record kind of guy, somebody who has done it before and hopefully can do it again in 2024 for Atlanta and may even stick around beyond the 2024 season based on the contract options that he has. Now, like I said, all these trades have been dissected. They've been recapped. Everybody's talked about these for, what, a week or 10 days at least in some cases. So I'm going to go a little bit more general with how I'm lining all of this up because this is not new news to you guys. It was just kind of the news that I couldn't get to while I was gone. But it wasn't just Michael Soroka who was traded to the White Sox. Nicky Lopez heading to the south side, so good for him. He'll get an opportunity, I think, for more playing time. Obviously, the White Sox are shaking things up. Tim Anderson no longer in the picture there. Maybe Nicky Lopez, who knows all about the AL Central, will be able to carve him out a nice spot there. Jared Schuster, Braden Shoemake also going in that deal, which was a 5-for-1. Braves traded a minor league right-hander in Riley Goins, somebody that just gives the White Sox another piece, somebody that could fit in there. Braden Shoemake, clearly, we got a brief look at him in 2023. There was a lot of discussion about him in spring training, and really when he was drafted, I, I think the Braves felt like his bat-to-ball skills were going to be a bit better than they developed. And losing the 2020 season probably didn't help. An injury in 2022 might not have helped either, but look around the Braves infield. You got Austin Riley ensconced at third base. Orlando Arcia pretty much took the shortstop job and ran away from any and all competition as of spring training and all through the season. Ozzie Albies at second base and over at first base, it's Matt Olson. So if you're looking for vacancies on the Braves infield, and particularly if you're a middle infielder, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunity there. So somebody like Braden Shoemake, even somebody like Nicky Lopez, who is a worthwhile piece if you've got him for utility's sake, at $4 million projected salary, that just wasn't something that I felt like worked for the Braves in their best interest. Taking that money and being able to stack up a few of these pieces, and guys, again, that they were going to non-tender, clear 40-man spots. Michael Soroka was going to be due over $3 million, I think, through arbitration. And the Braves really didn't seem to be committed to allowing Soroka to refine his form while in the Major League rotation. They were able to take all of those pieces and turn it into a useful bullpen arm in Aaron Bummer. 679 ERA last year. This is kind of a, as much as I'm going to get into it on the stats. 
the fielding independent pitching tells an entirely different story, and he still got a ton of swing and miss. So I think the bummer, who is a lefty set to make $5.5 million in 2024, club options for 2025 and 2026, if the Braves want to keep him around, that's a controllable asset with a good track record that I think the Braves are going to be very happy to at least explore Whereas all the pieces that they traded, and unfortunately in the case of Soroka, it's kind of the end of his story, and it didn't play out the way that a lot of us envisioned it playing out, including Michael himself. Well, you just kind of have to move on from that business sense. And that's the same thing that was going on with Kyle Wright. The last I talked to Kyle was after the National League Division Series Game 2 win for the Braves, but Kyle had just found out he was going to be undergoing season-ending shoulder surgery, a surgery that was going to keep him out for all of 2024, and for Kyle, someone who was so up and down between AAA and the majors for so many years before finally establishing himself, becoming a 20-game winner in 2022, the cortisone shot didn't work, the rest in the rehab didn't work, and ultimately all parties agreed he needed to have that shoulder issue addressed. He was not going to pitch in 2024. There was no expectation of that. And as I just mentioned with Soroka as we watched it through 2023, he had some opportunities to come back from his two-plus years' worth of injury, but Atlanta is not really a club that's in a place where they can allow a pitcher to find his form every fifth day. They're in a win-now mode. And I know that giving up on young players, particularly those you drafted and those that you might have developed a bit of a, an affinity for and a relationship with in terms of your expectations for them and your high hopes for them, Cal Wright wasn't going to pitch in 2024. So the money that was going to be spent there and then his trek back to becoming a useful major league starter is anything but a sure thing. Because shoulder injuries are not like elbow injuries. And I think that was a lot of what the Braves' thinking was. It had less to do with the money. And I know there was a lot that was made out of Kyle Wright's comments to Justin Toscano, a friend of the show here, over on the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about how that projected salary of about a million and a half dollars didn't fit into Atlanta's spending plans for 2024. And that came from a conversation that Wright had with Alex Anthopoulos that the Braves' GM has a number he has to work with. It comes from the higher-ups. And look, Every GM has higher-ups they answer to and a number to work with. But to say that they were so up against it, the Braves were, with what their spending is going to be for 2024, that they can't afford Kyle Wright, that, I believe, is just taken out of context. But the Braves have to face that reality, and, and Kyle Wright does to a certain extent in this situation, and I believe that he has, that his lack of availability as a starting pitcher in 2024 and then the tough road back from a shoulder injury and the uphill battle to recover from a major shoulder surgery that the Braves, they couldn't prioritize that kind of thing right now. And that's no offense to Kyle Wright whatsoever, but there's just no guarantee that he'll bounce back in 2025 or, or 2026. And how long will it take to be the pitcher that he was in 2022? That's just the reality of the business. That's where the Braves are right now. A team like the Braves is not in a place to play that wait-and-see game and to give him all those starts and all those innings. And Michael Soroka, I'd have loved to have seen Soroka get those chances to really settle in and not have to go back and forth between Gwinnett and the big leagues and to show them that he could find that form again. But the Braves had a different way of thinking, and there were a variety of reasons for why they shuffle arms on and off the roster. The long story short for Soroka, that opportunity simply wasn't afforded to him. And now the Braves have moved on. They've traded both of those guys away. Soroka to the White Sox, right heading to the Kansas City Royals in exchange for Jackson Cower, who's a hard-throwing right-handed reliever. Another depth option there, perhaps somebody that the Braves felt that they could unlock something with him. All of these moves, as you put them all together, Nick Anderson also was traded away for cash considerations to Kansas City in a separate deal. Various non-tenders, 
All of a sudden, the Braves, they trimmed, what, 10 spots off their 40-man roster. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they start to rebuild all of that. And one of those spots, as we circle back to the money that the Braves have to spend and what they can use, some of this money that they just saved on these non-tenders, was in bringing in a very talented, hard-throwing right-hander named Reynaldo Lopez. He's been mostly in the American League, was traded again at the deadline. He seems to be inextricably linked to Lucas Giolito, so I don't know if this means that now Giolito needs to sign with the Braves so he can stay with Ronaldo Lopez, but uh, you know, all jokes aside, this is someone who really brings the Braves an interesting option. If he stays in the bullpen, he's had a ton of success there. But in the first comments the club made about this signing, it sounds like Lopez is going to get the opportunity to stretch himself out to start again, at least in spring training. Now, the reasons you do that, it's a lot easier to stretch somebody out and then transition them back to the bullpen. That's not really a hard test. But in order to get somebody stretched out in the regular season, if Atlanta felt like they needed that, that can be a little bit trickier thing. But Lopez, a three-year, $30 million deal he signed a week ago, 29 years old. Again, a huge arm, can throw upwards of 100 miles an hour, and he's only gotten better in the bullpen. So I think the Braves have a lot to be excited about when it comes to adding this guy to their mix. 327 ERA between three clubs last year, 66 innings, 83 strikeouts for Lopez. For Lopez, not as good in Chicago as he was in 2022 when he posted a 276 ERA across 61 appearances, but he got better with the Angels and was dynamite with the Cleveland Guardians as well, which was his third stop last season. Lopez has not been a full-time starting pitcher since way back in 2020. It did not go particularly well for him. Now, some might be wondering what the logic is behind taking a a really good-looking reliever and moving him back into a role that he didn't really excel in prior to that. In fact, he just wasn't very good at all by the time the plug was pulled and he was taken out of the Chicago rotation. Well, times change. He's had success since then in the bullpen. Maybe the Braves feel like there's a way to unlock him and to harness that potential if they feel like he could be an answer to this starting rotation question. If not, then the Braves have gotten themselves another really nice reliever, and they have paid some money in trades and in free agency to get themselves some harder-throwing arms, some guys with great strikeout rates, and effectively building a pitching staff that will be able to generate the swings and misses that you need to succeed in baseball these days, particularly coming out of the bullpen. Lopez immediately becomes one of, if not the hardest thrower on the Braves staff. This was something that Atlanta, despite its bullpen success for most of last season, I know there's some highs and lows here and there, especially in the second half, They did not rank particularly high when it came to the average velocity of the arms coming out of those bullpens once you got to October. The Braves could have success, but it wasn't built quite like some of the others. And in October, I think the more swing and miss you get out of the bullpen clearly can play up in a big-time way. If you want a good example of that, go back to 2021 when the bullpen helped carry the Braves to that World Series title. I'm sure the Braves were able to bring in Reynaldo Lopez. Maybe he factors into this starting rotation question, but it leaves the Braves with Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, and Bryce Elder in place as of right now in that Braves rotation with a fifth spot that is a big question mark. They have some minor league arms who could factor into this, and I'll get into some of this with the listener questions a little bit later. A.J. Smith-Shaw or Hurston Waldrop in particular spring to mind as guys who could help the Braves out in that fifth spot. Atlanta, though, I feel like needs that one more proven starter. And I think they definitely want one more. I don't think Ronaldo Lopez was meant to be the only way the Braves try to solve that problem. But they did miss out on two top free agent starters. Despite making a big push for Philly's ace Aaron Nola, Philadelphia stepped up with a big offer and they kept their ace for seven years and $172 million. Lots of folks, myself included, thought, well, maybe the Braves will pivot to Sonny Gray, who would need probably less years, being four years older than Nola, 
And maybe that was a deal that would work, being as Gray went to Vanderbilt and might like to pitch for the Atlanta Braves. And I'm sure he would like to pitch for the Atlanta Braves, but given that we saw him sign a three-year, $75 million deal with the St. Louis Cardinals, I don't think he's going to be pitching for the Braves anytime soon. And from his comments there, which I would imagine that $25 million a year will do this to you, he said he always wanted to be a Cardinal, and that's just kind of the game in free agency. And we saw this with Aaron Nola deciding to go back to the Phillies. The Braves reportedly made a big offer to him that could have been upwards of $160-plus million. Same thing for the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are on the prowl looking for more pitching themselves. I guess we know that the Braves had some rotational questions in 2023 at times. I don't think any team, any good team, had more questions in rotation than the Los Angeles Dodgers had last year. So they're going to be looking to find ways to solve that over the course of this winter as well. So going after Aaron Nola makes a ton of sense. Two differing cases, though, with these two righties. Again, there was an age difference between them. Nola liking to be in Philadelphia. Did he just look to find a way to leverage the Phillies into giving them their best and final offer right up front so he didn't have to sit around all winter and wait? Yeah, maybe so. But I do think that Bray's interest in Aaron Nola was very real, and why wouldn't it be? This is a guy that covers innings. He makes starts. He's been great in the postseason. It checks a lot of boxes for what the Braves are looking for. And it brings up those questions about how much money the Braves are willing to spend this winter. When they did all these extensions for the younger star players over the course of the last, what, about four or five years now, they were eyeing the opportunity that that would create to add even more talent. And that eventually, I felt and, and do feel, could come through the free agent market. Those extensions are going to add up, of course, because the escalating salaries moving forward, not to mention they're going to have the desire to extend their star right fielder, Ronald Acuna Jr., the National League MVP. That hadn't happened the last time we spoke. Second baseman, Ozzy Albies. In the coming years, those are going to be two players they're going to have to look at extensions for. It's not happening right now. However, can the Braves figure out ways to make all of this math work? Because there's going to be some serious accounting that's going to have to go on the further the Braves go into these extensions that escalate for Acuna, not as much in the case of Albies, as is well documented, but Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Spencer Strider, some of these deals are going to go up in coming years. So where is the math going to fit together? How are the Braves going to balance those books? And not because they're going to cut spending, but because all of these players are going to get a little bit more expensive. Now, the team chairman, Terry McGurk, went on record multiple times over the last few years about the team's desire to spend and become a top five payroll. If you want to get better this year and keep all those guys around, then you're going to have to write some checks and make that all happen. A top five payroll, I feel, is going to be required to keep some of these guys that the Braves have already extended around for years and years to come. And again, I'm pointing at Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies in particular, let alone any way that the Braves want or need to spend this winter or any winter to try to make this team better. So that brings up the question when it comes back to the rotation, where does this search go now? Is there a free agent deal that makes sense for the Atlanta Braves? Names that spring to mind immediately, names everybody's looking at when it comes to this free agent class of starters. Jordan Montgomery, who did nothing but raise his stock with how great he was in the postseason. He's going to be looking for a big deal. Blake Snell as well. And then if you want to go the international route, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, that's a name that's out there. There's going to be a bidding war for him. The New York teams figure to be in it, as will a slew of other clubs that could be willing to pay for his services. Those, I think, are the top three arms that you're looking at in terms of free agents that are still out there. There are some bridge options, guys that I would say are one- or two-year deals that might help you out in giving some stability to the rotation. And maybe that's all the Braves need if Max Fried is healthy. But that's a big if. And as we found out in 2023... 
it could certainly raise some serious questions if he's not available, but injuries can happen to anybody at any time. That's just the nature of the beast. It doesn't mean Freed becomes completely unreliable, but if you're making your plan and you want depth and you want quality and you want to try to make this the best rotation possible, well, then I think you owe it to yourself to go out there and look at some of these options. So if you do get a three or a four type starter or somebody that you just feel is a good short-term fix, is that a Seth Lugo type who had a good year for San Diego, could cash in on a multi-year deal, or somebody that could be on a make-good deal? This is where I start looking at a lot of the starting pitchers that were available around the trade deadline, like Lucas Giolito and others. I mean, Lance Lynn's already signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, who also signed Kyle Hendricks. So they've been remaking their rotation and plucking a couple of guys off the free agent board that I don't think necessarily fit for the Braves as it was. But it is kind of funny to me that a lot of the arms that were available for trade in late July, most of which struggled with their new teams, well, they're now available on deals that wouldn't cost you the prospect capital to acquire because they're out there with no qualifying offer attached. That's something that wasn't true for Nola, also not true for Sonny Gray. Just some things to keep in mind as the Braves continue their search for starting pitching help. But as we've seen with Alex Anthopoulos over the years, he's not afraid to make a trade or three or four or five. We've already seen some trades this winter, but we're talking about a different animal here. Who are some of the trade options? Because there definitely are some arms that could be out there for the Braves to look at. And can Anthopoulos go out and do what he's done before with Matt Olson, with Sean Murphy in particular at spring to mind, and find a player that you're able to bring in that has years of control left, and maybe you're able to extend that player? Is there a controllable starting pitcher out there on the trade market that the Braves could target? And the answer to this one seems to be the same name over and over and over again. In wrestling, I think they call it fantasy booking. In the hot stove, I guess we could call it that as well. But if you're looking for a prime trade target with a team the Braves have already dealt with this winter, told you we get back to the White Sox because they have Dylan Cease. He's under contract for two more years. The salary projections have him due just under $9 million this season. That would certainly fit a bit better if you're looking to make your money go in a lot of different directions than $25, $26, $27 million for Sonny Gray or Aaron Nola. And Dylan Cease is not too far removed from being a Cy Young runner-up in the American League. Does he check those boxes? Does he make sense for the Atlanta Braves? I would tell you yes. Now, where I'll caution you is, if you're looking for that extension, the thing that the Braves like to do to make sure that when they invest their prospects and they trade them away, that they can keep the player that they get, particularly when we're talking about maybe a longer-term building block like you would hope Dylan Cease would be, he is a Boris Corporation client, and Scott Boris has been known to take his players all the way through to free agency so that they can extract every single nickel that they can get from whoever is going to sign them to their next big contract. So... That may not be something in play for Dylan Cease, but 2024 and 2025, the Braves with Dylan Cease in that rotation, even with the questions around Max Fried and his impending free agency next winter, you have Spencer Strider, you have Charlie Morton, you have that rotation set up. If you put Cease in there, that's a pretty nice starting four, and the Braves would then have the ability to figure out the fifth spot, whether it be with Bryce Elder, Reynaldo Lopez getting a chance to start, some of the younger guns like A.J. Smith-Shawver or Hurston Waldrop, assuming you don't have to trade either of those guys. The Braves would then be, I think, in the exact position they want to be and keeping in mind that at some point you're going to have Ian Anderson back, hopefully, in the second half of next year. So those are some of the thoughts that I've had as we've watched things play out over the course of the past couple of weeks. But, hey, I've got some listener questions. I want to get to all of those, and you're going to find that there's a very solid theme that runs through most of these, and it is, of course, what are the Braves going to do in this rotation? 
So I threw out the line for the From the Diamond mailbag over on X. You can follow me there at Grant McCauley. And these are the questions that I got. And starting pitching came up more than a few times. Jet7111 asked, will we spend the money on a quality free agent starting pitcher? And if not, who is there left to trade? Well, as I just talked about the Dylan Cease deal, and his name will come up some more. We'll talk about Dylan Cease a little bit more as I go along. But another interesting arm that has come up and knowing the way that the Tampa Bay Rays operate, I think there's something to be said for Tyler Glasnow's availability. And if that works for the Braves, if you're just kind of looking at what 2024 can be or needs to be, adding a pitcher with the upside of Tyler Glasnow to this rotation would do everything I think that Dylan Cease could do for this rotation. He could very well be somebody in the Cy Young conversation. He has had some durability questions, and he's under contract for $25 million. Glasnow, though, for Tampa Bay in 2023, 10-7, 353 ERA, made 21 starts, 162 strikeouts in his 120 innings. That was a career high. Only 37 walks. This is someone that could absolutely be a dominant force alongside the likes of Spencer Strider and Max Freed. Then you come in at number four with a guy like Charlie Morton. That would be an outstanding rotation if you're able to make a deal for somebody like Glasnow. The Guardians, they're always going to be looking for ways, I feel like, unfortunately, to shed some payroll, and I think they may have gotten to that place with Shane Bieber. He was the AL Cy Young Award winner in 2020. A very good season in 2022. Some injuries, so last year, just 6-6 six and six with a 380 ERA, 107 strikeouts for him in 128 innings. That was a career low, 7.5 strikeouts per nine. So there are some question marks, I think, around Shane Bieber. The name value, very high. Can he bounce back? Is he over the injuries? Is he worth the prospect price? That, I think, is what really Cleveland's asking itself and what I think any team that is looking to perhaps pick up Shane Bieber would be looking at as well because he's not signed to a long-term deal. You'd be going to arbitration with him. Those arbitration numbers are going to go up. But it could be something that if you could figure out the way to make it work and you're feeling confident about his health and his ability to go to the post for you, Shane Bieber would be a very nice ad, but again, just like with Glasnow, there are some questions about the durability, most recently especially with how he looked in 2023. If you're wondering about the ages, Glasnow is 30, Bieber is 28 years old, so you're not talking about pitchers that are in their mid to late 30s or anybody even approaching the age of Sonny Gray, who had gotten a free agency at 34, and you'd be paying, and the Cardinals are, for age 34, 35, and 36 seasons. Not that the Braves haven't been known to dole out $20 million to say, I don't know, Charlie Morton in his late 30s going into his age 40 season this year, but I do think that there was a very different look for how much money and the average annual value that the Braves would be paying a guy like Sonny Gray versus having that money going towards somebody around 30 years old like Aaron Nola. So again, both of those guys are off the board. We're talking about the different alternatives, but when it comes to big money deals, do you want to be the team that throws a ton of money at Jordan Montgomery, who, again, is a very nice player, but last year, pretty much the high watermark for him. He's going into his age 31 season, so this is not just a young guy that you'd be signing for you know age 28, 29, 30 on forward. Could command a four- or five-year deal or more, and based on the fact that he is also a Boris Corporation client, it could take a while for Jordan Montgomery to find his home, and it won't be for lack of trying by Scott Boris and his team, and I'm just not sure that he meets all the criteria that the Braves would be looking for in terms of getting a starter that really can dominate. But you can't take anything away from how Jordan Montgomery looked in October. He was fantastic. This question I got on X from Jake. 
Given that a few of the likely first-choice starting pitching options are falling off the board, who would you want to see the Braves look at as they begin to prioritize a left-field upgrade in a trade or possible free agent signing? This was kind of what I was talking about earlier and what Alex Anthopoulos actually talked about last year. Could you add another power bat to the Braves, and particularly in left field? I don't know that the door is completely shut on bringing back Eddie Rosario or Kevin Pillar or the tandem of the two of those, but can they do a little bit better? Rosario's overall numbers, I mean, if you got a bunch of 750 and above OPSs throughout your lineup, you've got a very good lineup. In fact, you've got a great lineup, and the Braves had one last year. But a lot of Eddie Rosario's value was all found in just two months out of the year, so the uneven production might be something that the Braves are thinking about finding ways to address. Before it even gets started, I don't see the Braves paying big for Cody Bellinger. I think he's going to get a big deal somewhere. I don't think the Braves are going to be the club that gives that out. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is a really interesting option, I think, from a power standpoint. Jorge Soler is out there, though he's been DHing mostly. And then you get into some other guys that might just be DHs at this point. J.D. Martinez, uh, Adam Duvall's out there again. He can clearly play the outfield pretty well. David Peralta, Tommy Pham. I mean, there are some names out there. But are these names that necessarily move the needle and change things for the Braves and upgrade what they had in left field a year ago? I don't know about that. In terms of trades, who knows how this whole thing could play out if the Braves were looking to really dip into the prospect capital and spend it on something. I don't really see it being left field. So that's a place that I think free agency probably makes the most sense to find somebody that can be serviceable for you there in left field, maybe get the bulk of the playing time, and then rebuild your bench with some good depth pieces exactly the way that Kevin Pillar was a year ago. That's kind of how I see left field going. I got this one from at Graham 31004 on X. What's more likely in left field, a platoon or a full-time player? I don't ever think it's going to be a straight platoon where one guy is just going to be playing half the games and the other guy is going to be playing half. It's obviously going to be dependent on righty-lefty matchups, but somebody's going to get 120 starts out there. That's kind of the way I see it going. What we saw in 2023 in terms of playing time is probably the most likely outcome again in 2024 and beyond, unless they go out and figure out a way to bring in a premium player that could play that position every single day. Got this question from Adam at Mavis11 on X. Who do you think A is eyeing for the rotation with Gray and Nola off the books? I think we talked about that quite a bit. A trade really makes a lot of sense for me. If you're not going to sign Aaron Nola and you didn't sign Sonny Gray, and maybe that was a year's thing, maybe that was a average annual value thing in that standpoint, I guess at the end of the day, all free agent contracts are probably going to come down to the years and the money. But if you're not going to get those two guys, I think a trade makes a ton of sense unless you start to take that step back into a different tier where it's just more about the quality depth of adding somebody who profiles more as a mid to back into the rotation starter. And you really just recommit to Max Fried and to Charlie Morton and to Spencer Strider, obviously. Don't let me bury the lead because I think Spencer's going to be counted on more than ever to lead the Braves rotation in 2024 and beyond. This question from Rodney as well, the follow-up about Ian Anderson. Could he return to be a middle-of-rotation arm post-surgery? That would be in the second half. Uh, Ian struggled mightily in 2022, got the Tommy John surgery last April, was supposed to begin his throwing program in October. All seems to be going well with that. But you're looking at a June-July return probably, 14, 15 months after Tommy John. The Braves aren't going to rush him back, given that they have some other options to deal with as well. But I don't think you can discount the fact that Ian Anderson could be available for you 
particularly in the second half, if that's where you're looking for him to give you a little bit of a boost. Because the Braves found themselves in the second half last year needing somebody to give them a boost. And Ian Anderson, who showed his absolute best in the month of October over the course of his career, that would be somebody that it might be nice to have back in the mix. This one from Chip Hendricks. What's the more likely route for the Braves to take to fill their starting pitching needs, signing a free agent, a trade, or a combination of both? I really think that they're down to the point where they only need to do one major move, and I think that that's make a trade. And I do think that trade is going to be the route that they're going to go, again, unless they decide that they want to sign a Lucas Giolito, a Seth Lugo, somebody who's a shorter-term fix and is not a front-of-the-rotation type of starter, that controllable starting pitcher that I talked about earlier when Dylan Cease came up. David Gordon asks, which top of the rotation starter do we have a chance of trading for? I think Dylan Cease is the obvious name, but as I mentioned, Tyler Glass now, I think that that's one that you could really look pretty hard at. But you know when the Tampa Bay Rays make a trade, they don't just give you somebody that they feel is going to leave in free agency. They always seem to get back a pretty good return. So I think it would be a pretty pricey trade if you go the Glass now route. And I, again, I have my doubts about Shane Bieber just based on how his 2023 played out. Uh, Isaiah F. Cruz on X asked me, do you think that the best option the Braves have to complete their rotation is to sign Jordan Montgomery? I actually don't agree with that. While he would be a nice add, and if the years were right and the money was right, I mean, who wouldn't want to add Jordan Montgomery? I think he's going to have a lot of teams out there looking to do that. But with Scott Boris leading the charge, I think that he's really going to find that club, as he always seems to, that he can convince that they need to solve their problem with his client And it seems to work every winter. The guy, I mean, he's the best in the business for a reason at getting that done for his clients. And I think that's why Jordan Montgomery is going to end up with more years and more money than the Braves are going to be doling out. In addition, and you're going to see a theme here, Hugh Harrington at BravesFan2415 asks, what are we doing about getting a quality starter? Gray signing with the Cardinals. What about left field? I think that that is going to be filled much the way that it was a year ago. That may not be a very exciting answer. I always reserve the right to be wrong if they just happen to pull off a trade that brings in another franchise fixture because it's happened two consecutive winners. It didn't think the Braves needed a catcher a year ago, and they traded for Sean Murphy. I don't know that the Braves need a left fielder right now in order to complete their lineup because it's pretty darn outstanding as it is. Could they go out and get somebody? Absolutely. And particularly if you're not able to find some other piece that makes sense for your pitching staff that ends up costing you a lot. So if the Braves did go with one of those lesser options, shall we say, those shorter term fixes for the rotation, a one year or two year deal with somebody, again, like a Lucas Giolito or a Seth Lugo or somebody of that ilk, then could they turn some of these prospects into an everyday left fielder? They could. Now, when you talk about left field, I got a few different versions of this question at we moving on up ask lots of talk about pitching, but who is going to play left field Vaughn Grissom question mark. And if so, why didn't they see this coming and get him going sooner than December that was reported. Now I think that Vaughn Grissom is clearly an athlete who's capable of playing left field. I think he can do it better than a couple of the guys. They tried out there Orlando Arcia. I don't know if you guys remember this, He was not good in left field. And in fact, he's much better at shortstop than left field. And that turned out to be pretty good for him. But with shortstop locked up, Vaughn Grissom's not going to be starting there. He's not going to be starting at second base. And if he does end up starting in either of those positions this year, that simply means that somebody else is hurt. So he is currently a man without an everyday position. And that's not a new development. So in left field, could Vaughn Grissom be the answer there? I think that might be a little bit of wishful thinking. And it's not to take away from the season that Vaughn had in AAA because his on-base skills were great. His bat-to-ball skills are also great. 
But you start to look behind that, and this is where a lot of people, not Cody Bellinger, not that I'm trying to compare Vaughn Grissom and Cody Bellinger here, but the hard hit rates and the ability to make that consistent hard contact, that hasn't been there in Vaughn Grissom's profile thus far. And when you think about a corner outfielder, even somebody as streaky as Eddie Rosario was, can you count on the 20 homers and 75 runs knocked in and a 750 OPS and some of the basic bars that have been set by the Braves offense of a year ago? which I know is a ridiculous bar to set, but when you think about a corner outfielder, you do think about power and production. Can Vaughn Grissom do that? I mean, he can find his way on base, I do believe. He can work some good at bats, but can he deliver steady power and extra base hits? That, I think, is maybe the biggest question for Vaughn Grissom because I think he's a good enough athlete to handle left field. But I will say, and I know there's been a lot of talk about it and a lot of questions about it, and again, that's why I'm answering it here, I don't think that Vaughn Grissom to left field is option number one for the Atlanta Braves with how they're going to solve that for 2023. It would be part of a different plan, and I think it's dependent on other moves that the Braves have to make. And then you know what their comfort level is with moving Vaughn out there, or if perhaps a trade ship as attractive as Vaughn Grissom is at 22 years old might be used to fill some other need. And that's why I don't think the Braves have settled and decided that, hey, Vaughn Grissom in left field is the way we're going to go, and that's plan A right now. This is an interesting one I got from Jason Robertson on X. Will the Braves trade Ozuna? I've seen a lot of talk about that, particularly on social media. He now is in the final year of that multi-year deal when it felt like you know, Marcel Ozuna might not be a Brave last May. Well, then he turned around and hit 40 home runs and drove in 100 runs and I think was the best DH in the National League at the very least. May not have earned a silver slugger, which is neither here nor there, but I think Ozuna is a pretty important part of the Braves lineup. So if they are going to part with him, I think it's going to be a much more intricate deal, a multiplayer trade, not simply the Braves want to trade Marcel Ozuna just to get rid of him. I think that theory can now be put to rest because Ozuna has value. So now if you're trading him, you're getting value back. You're not just trying to dump his salary on some other team. So we'll see. And what the market would be like for Ozuna, just based on how tough the sledding was prior to 2023, that may give some other clubs pause, but it really depends on what might be coming back the other direction and what are the needs of the club that you're trying to hook up and do that trade with and could they use another power bat? Ozuna now looks like he's back and I do think there's some value there, but I also don't know that the Braves are highly motivated to trade away such an important piece from their lineup a year ago, particularly with a question mark in left field, and especially if you decide that maybe Von Grissom is the way that you're going to fill that. Will his offense be enough? Well, you don't want to sacrifice the offense that could be happening at DH with a guy like Ozuna, who I don't think is going to go back to playing left field every day. And I think that helps me answer the new segment that at JDK underscore 1002 asked me, which is a new segment. Macaulay calls it the Braves opening day left fielder is. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to start that segment here because I'm really not sure. And I think that left field, while Alex Anthopoulos doesn't always shop in a linear fashion and say, okay, well, until I get this need filled, I'm not going to do anything else. I think that it could depend on what other moves happen and what presents itself. And with the winter meetings right around the corner, if there have been talks, which I know there have been leading up to it, those tend to go into overdrive at those winter meetings. And then you have the kind of talks that could help you get a deal done the following week, a couple of weeks later, right after the new year. I don't know when all these pieces are going to fall and when they're all going to come into place, but I know there's going to be a lot of conversation that's going to be had here in about a week from now at the winter meetings in Nashville. I'll wrap it up with this. Jason on X asked me, how realistic is the possibility of adding Shohei Otani? I don't want to tell you that the Braves couldn't do it if they really wanted to do it, but it's about as highly unlikely to me as anything is. 
but I've seen a lot of creative ways of pitching it, a lot of creative ways of thinking about it that I can't discount, no pun intended, that I can't throw out and say it wouldn't make sense for the Braves to go after Otani, but he can't help him in the rotation in 2024. What will that contract look like? How will it be structured if he only pitches for a certain amount of time or if he never is able to do it the way that he did it the last few years in Los Angeles? Would it be a totally different deal based on the fact that he might just become a reliever or it might become a full-time hitter and start playing the outfield? I don't know how all that would look, and I think there are going to be a lot of teams trying to sort that out this winter. But the news that Otani would like to play for the Atlanta Braves, look, I think a lot of players out there should want to play for the Atlanta Braves because if they prioritize winning, the Braves are a place. And if you want to have the conversations, I think that it's worthwhile, you know, at least knocking on the door and trying to figure it out if you're Shohei Otani or picking up that phone and seeing if there's some kind of conversation that leads to something. But I would not get my hopes up about Shohei Otani being an Atlanta Brave, and I will also be the happiest person in the world to be wrong about that if, for some reason, Shohei Otani becomes an Atlanta Brave. So that'll wrap things up on what I felt like was a great catch-up episode here on From the Diamond. Appreciate you guys riding along with me, as always. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Battery Power TV on YouTube, Locked On Sports Atlanta, and Locked On Braves over on YouTube. And you can find my writing at FromTheDiamond.com, where I'll have my live blog going throughout the course of the winter meetings and at the Marietta Daily Journal. Find links to all of those things on social media at Grant McCauley is where you can find me. Hope you guys had an excellent holiday. Hope you're looking forward to more and more hot stove discussion coming at you right here on From the Diamond. That'll do it for this week. Until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.